A very warm welcome to this World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. Hello listeners and welcome back to this World Game Changes, World Game Changes, even World Game Changes podcast episode. Uh, I've got a returning guest today, Keith Amos from Luxembourg. Dr. Keith Amos, if you please. Keith, a very warm welcome to you, sir. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for the warm welcome. And uh, what we thought we'd talk about, listeners, a little bit of an intriguing one. The life and times of a recycled teenager. Bit of an intriguing title, Keith. Any initial thoughts? Well, it, it poses lots of thoughts, I think, Paul, but I know that you have something in mind here because there's a, I believe there's a book coming out shortly. Mm. Uh, so I reckon what we should do is have a quick dig inside your mind there and see what you think it is. And maybe I can give you some views after that. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds perfect. The art of delegation. <laughs> You're a very experienced practitioner, Keith, with that response. Very Dodging ex- a bullet, it's called, Paul. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, the recycled teenager, what, what is this? What does it mean? Essentially, when I look back on my own journey, my own life, as a teenager, my world was very torn, very troubled. I was very precocious, uh, you know, up until about the uh, age of eight, uh, my world, I was, I was um, very gifted academically. I was very gifted sports-wise. Um, I kind of almost literally had the world at my feet. And then something happened. My mother remarried and it became a very rapid uh, downward spiral from there. So all that prowess academically or sporting-wise that I had, it, it's almost uh, disappeared overnight. So I lost those teenage years. I, I had a, an alcohol addiction uh, from the age of 10 onwards. And, you know, there's a whole host of stuff that it's all it's all been well published before, Keith. Um, kind of don't want to keep going down that um, thing. So the teenage years, in many respects, in terms of that, you know, that, that potential, that precociousness were lost. And as I've travelled throughout my life and, and learnt some lessons... Um, what I found now is myself in a space where I can actually turn the clock back. Of course, the body physically might have other ideas about that. Um, it reminds me constantly when I go for a run that, no, nope, you're not doing this, boy, with this left knee. You're not having this. Um, however, you know, in the mind and the heart and the energy itself, for me, Keith, I feel like it's like turning back the hands of time become a recycled teenager is to encapsulate that that childlike curiosity that energy that that whole you know everything that goes with that as a younger person but amalgamating it with seniors wisdom and i've i've found that that is quite a potential uh, quite a potent I'm really getting my words mixed up because I'm excited, you see. As teenagers do, they, they know what they mean to say and then they start speeding up and, and chucking words out, but they don't really understand what they're saying. So I'm going to take a bit of a deep breath, Keith, and uh, try and say that, yeah, that's the essence of, of, of where I feel I've landed with the, uh, the recycled teenager. You know, I was really happy to, to get invited to have a chat with you, Paul. I don't know where the conversation will go, but 
you know, the, my first thought was, okay, let's just first of all think what what do we mean by recycling? Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking immediately uh, actually about putting something which has already been used, mm. perhaps to good effect, and bringing it back, but maybe using it for something different. So my example would be something like car tires. Mm. They're used, they're valuable, they, 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 they did something that they needed to do. But then, yeah, you know, no good anymore, no tread left. So mm. you need to, like, I, I was going to talk about no tread left and look, look to your <laughs> lacking hair there, Paul, but I won't be so rude. But no tread left. And then, you know, but they get mashed up, reground, and then they become, you know, the basis of a, of a play park for children. Mm. And, and I was thinking, this is a fabulous concept, this idea of taking something that was obviously good and bad, because I know that, you know, in our youths, we've, we've learned a lot. We've had some good and bad experiences, no doubt. Mm. But maybe taking the good bits from that tit for most synergies and saying, well, now, how can I use them now as an adult? What, what, what have I learned? And it could be that it's something that you had as a teenager, and I'll ask you about this in a minute, because I know you bumped into someone recently who reminded you of your youth, mm. but it could be that as a, as a youth, you were seen, for example, as someone who was always very cheerful, someone who, you know, everybody got on with and, mm. and friendly. And maybe many, many, many years later, well, when you're an adult, perhaps this is going to serve you very well in a position, perhaps as a manager or as someone that needs to motivate a team. So that, that was my first take when I heard heard the title recycle teenager but Paul tell me about if you may if you wouldn't mind tell me about this time that you met someone from your past you don't have to go into names of course but mm. but how that was a surprise to you when they talked about how they viewed you in a, a younger you yeah and what a fascinating uh, and I'm going to say miraculous and that I mean that's a big word um, and take some substantiating so let me try so somebody reached out to me and I hadn't seen this guy since the early to mid 70s, 1970s. And it was 48 years to be precise. And he reached out to me via an email a few weeks ago. And I recognised the name and um, sort of said, you know, do you remember me? We went to school together. Well, that was partly true. He may have went to school. I infrequently did because I was on the streets and, you know, and all that kind of thing. But nonetheless, we was, at, you know, we was registered at the same, uh, uh, you know, at the same school, uh, all boys grammar school. And we met up. You know, we exchanged via email, we exchanged phone numbers, we met up, we had a nice meal and we kind of, you know, took a trip down memory, memory lane, as you do after four, nearly half a century, Keith. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was just amazed. I was absolutely staggered. I think one, because of the time scale, and two, that we, we weren't actually close. In fact, I think it's fair to say that in the early parts, formative parts of my my, my life, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't get close to any male, particularly uh, grown-ups, you know, men, because of the experiences I'd had at the hands of my stepfather. You know, I, I was waging war on society at a very early age particularly the male population and I didn't really care what shape or size or age they come in um, so anyway we, we kind of had this trip down memory lane this immensely emotional um, trip down memory lane and, and I kind of said to him look why I don't get it I don't get it we weren't close 
it's half a century on. You've never been in the circle I've been in. And I have, you know, you're not even, you know, sort of second, third friends or family removed. There's been no connection at all. You know, you're from a, from Asian descent. I'm from a completely different backyard. You come from a sort of fairly stable stroke, you know, middle class family. You did well at school. You did academically, blah, blah, blah. Um, I didn't because I was never there. And he said, you were fascinating as, as, you know, when we was together as kids. It shocked me, Keith. Mm. Fascinating. I was mm. fascinating. And I said to him, I said, but you haven't got a clue about my life. No, you know, you might have read it in books. And he said, yeah, you know, I've kind of caught up and I've been following you over the years. And, you know, you've put a lot of stuff out there, books and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it transpired that, you know, more latter years, he'd got into football. So he did know some of the, the mutual, um, you know, connections. Um, so, you know, he'd obviously kind of brought himself right up to speed. So when I said to him, look, you know, never mind about me. Tell me about you. Oh, no, no, no. I don't, I, you know, my life's no, no. Let's talk. I want to I want to know what's what's made you tick over these years and what made you tick then. And I said, what you didn't know about is what I was undergoing at home. That's why you very really, really saw me. Uh, I had a very, very, very violent upbringing. If you can remember, I used to come to school with cut, you know, cut lip, black eyes. That was at the hands of my stepfather. Um, but you guys just thought I'd been in a fight, you know, to Forest match because I was Forest crazy. Because they'd but, lost again. Because <laughs> they'd lost again. <laughs> there was a lot of it going off in the early <laughs> 70s, Keith, I can assure you. Hell of a lot. Um, but uh, that's another story we could do a podcast about that <laughs> the life and times of Nottingham Forest and West Ham United but anyway let's not digress Paul note to self so we're on this kind of thread of nostalgia Keith and I said do you know I said one of the things that's fast, always fascinated me is this psychometric testing and I don't know why I was talking mm. to him Keith about because he's not from mm. HR I mean I know in your world you'd understand that implicitly mm. but you know this guy had kind of gone to be to become a very successful now retired accountant so kind of you know psychometric testing it's like well why we're we talking I don't even know why I brought it up but I brought it up I think to to, to, to show a point, to, to, to raise a point, and it was this, how people often see us and how we see ourselves are oftentimes light years apart. Yeah, for sure. So, so this guy had said this about, you know, he'd started to say what a fun-loving, you know, adventurous kid I was. He put a big caveat on it. There's such a thing as a big caveat. Um to say, but you was totally fearless. You knew no boundaries. You'd warn people. And he kind of attested to a warning I gave him um, when he was kind of trying to push me around one day. And um, just let's say I didn't come off second. Uh, and I want to be respectful to the guy because, you know, I mean, one, that was a long, long time ago. We were kids, uh, I think 12, 13 years of age to be precise. Uh, but to... You know, a man that sort of reaches out after half a century certainly deserves a lot of respect in my book and and is indeed, you know, a very, very, very nice guy. Um, but the point I'm trying to make, Keith, and I'm kind of dancing all around the houses on this, is how I saw myself then or how my memory saw me going back all those years 
and how he saw me was totally polarised because mm. I might saw myself as a young kid growing up very angry, very violent, got a secret alcohol addiction that, that nobody knew about apart from the authorities. Um, and that's how I saw myself, was waging as judge, jury and executioner. I was angry, I was violent, uh, I was defensive. He saw me completely differently, yeah. completely differently. I think that's amazing. And I think as you're talking, I'm kind of come up with this idea that basically we're all trains going through other people's stations. Mm. You know, we, we go through, we stop for a while, they see of us a little bit and then we move on and to the next station or the next person. And I'm, I'm kind of rem reminded of Oprah Winfrey. I know she's going through a bit of difficulty now, uh, image-wise, but nonetheless, she said some, some time ago, it's not what you say, it's the way you make someone feel that counts. And it, like you've said, actually, I had a very similar situation um, a little while back where I met some uh, of my old school friends. We'd managed to link up again after many, many years on, uh, I think it was Facebook, something like this. And we'd shared a few jokes and the usual stuff you do. But we actually decided to do something quite ridiculous. We decided to meet up in, in Canada because one of them had gone to America, the other one had gone to Canada. And we met up and we had a few days in uh, by Niagara Falls there. Now, it's exactly what you're telling me, because uh, both those guys, one of them was was very much the, the guy that all the girls fell in love with. And, you know, he was into the soul music and he was he was number one. Everyone looked up to him and idolized him. The other fella, uh, uh, great guy, both great guys, by the way, but he was into motorcycling and uh, more what you would have called a greaser in the old days, I suppose. Um, and I don't know what I was, but somehow middle of the road, you know, listening to David Bowie and, and, and being a little bit abstract. We, we got together, we didn't stop talking, we didn't stop reminiscing, but we were also at ease in each other's company, kind of mm. just sat there. But we just slightly touched on that, you know, and we managed to think of a few instances from our school days of things that we remembered. And interestingly, as you say, the perspectives were different. Mm. And, uh, and also that when one of us would say something about the other and they would kind of raise their eyebrows, oh, really? So it's exactly what you say there. It's it's that people from the past have have viewed us, seen us, imagined us as being something slightly different to what we were ourselves or what we are ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what does that tell us then in this recycled teenager scenario? Is it that maybe one of the things that would be beneficial for us is to get out there and actually ask people that we've known over the years or, you know, what do you think of me? What, what did you make of me? That's a very difficult question to ask of anybody, though, isn't it? It is, Keith, and I think there's something that underpins that. I mean, yes, that would be the litmus test, you know, the practical um, way forward. But as you say, it's very difficult, you know, chasing people up after 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever it is. It's nigh on impossible. I mean, the chances of somebody sending me another email out of the blue, I, mm. well, never say never, but <laughs> mm. I don't know. I've waited 48 years for Maybe that Maybe after one. this podcast, especially if you owe them money, Paul. Well, yeah. Uh, anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> um, I never thought about that, actually. You made a very valid point, Keith. Yeah. Uh, maybe we need to terminate the podcast here and now. Um, yeah, what, what would 10p with inflation be? You know, what would have pounds been in the early 70s compared to now? It'd uh, be a few shillings, wouldn't it? It would be. Um, it I've be. lost the thread, Keith. Bring me back to no, the question. Actually, what we're saying is, could, could, we could you approach somebody... Um, from of old and say, you know, what did you make of me then? Who was I then? What did you think of me then? Because it would give you a very different perspective now as an adult as how you were viewed. 
yeah of course think... you can do it actually now you know as the recycled teenager as you call it you know i could yeah you could go now to some to several people i don't know if they'd be that honest though i don't no. know if they, they wouldn't want to offend would they whereas if you're talking about someone from the past maybe they wouldn't be so honest either but they might give you a slightly better flavor because it was such a long time ago and it's a great question, Keith. And I think we can do something that, as you, you know, as I've kind of alluded to, practically to chase people up from however long ago is is difficult. But we can do something as individuals far, far where we take the responsibility and we can create that story. Because mm. what that's done to me is took mm. the blinkers off. You know, I like mm. to, you know, up until that moment, it's like, you know, I've been on a lot of personal development. I've worked with some of the top, the world's top mm. mentors, as you know. So I like to think that, you know, I kind of, I've got, you know, I've got a lot of answers and, um, but clearly I haven't got them all and I don't think we ever get them all, by the way. Um, but one of the things that, that's come to me, Keith, a massive, massive learning that's come to me is this power that we as individuals, irrespective of all the labels, you know, black, white, young, old, gay, straight, rich, poor, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. They're only labels, but we can recycle ourselves we can take an honest look, a reflection of ourselves in the mirror. We're answerable to ourselves. We're responsible for ourselves. We can look that person in the mirror and say, do you know what? Maybe that was good or that was bad or that was indifferent. But by recycling and self-forgiving and self-acceptance, you can then become a far better version and create this almost alter ego, the younger self, if you will. You know, you can call, even call it sort of running parallel to the inner child. You know, where a lot of trauma, as you know, Keith, we carry yep. that forward. Uh, and, and, you know, and there's even kind of, um, you know, past life trauma that uh, we, you know, that's that's a whole new topic altogether. So we kind of don't want to go down that uh, rabbit hole, I would suggest. Not on this particular episode anyway. So there's this whole ability for us to, to look in the mirror and say, OK, do you know what? I am going to recycle my life and I'm going to be honest. And yes, it might be painful because there's some things that might contain shame and guilt. And 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 let's hope there is, Keith, because if there isn't, I would venture that that person's not human. Well, you, you, you know, one of the things you talked about, the psychometric testing and so on. I, I use that a lot in the coaching Um it's only one element, mind you, of, mm. of, of what we do, but it's helping people to see themselves as others see them. Mm. And why is that important? Well, it's important, particularly in, 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 in the world that I'm in, which is career coaching, mm. because that's the image you're giving off to others. And that's the image that your recruiter is going to see of you. And therefore, you want to make it as positive as possible. So a, a psychometric test can, can sometimes reveal certain things about you. But, you know, fundamentally, I think it was Freud who didn't reckon that we change much in our personality after the teen years. Um, it's been debated much ever since. And I, broadly, I think that's right. Unless there's something very traumatic happens later in life. Mm. Relatively speaking, the type of person that you were as a younger person and a teenager, whether that's generous, kind, uh, giving, supportive, friendly, or it's there. It's still there throughout your life. And where you see examples of that, though, is, is um, I particularly say where you would see examples of that is when you see people with genuine childlike qualities in the way they act as an adult. So humour is a classic one for that. If you take something like good old Laurel and Hardy or there's plenty of others, that joy, that that laughter, that that enthusiasm is the same aching, uh, you know, bellyache 
as an elderly sort of person as it would be when you're a five-year-old. Mm. You haven't lost that. Yeah. So maybe what, what, what we're saying here is that you can recycle yourself, but you, you do need to know maybe the things that you need to drop from your teenage years, the things that caused you pain, the things that you need to overcome, the self-work you need to do, mm. and take the good bits, a bit like my tyre. You know, take take what you've got, the stuff that's useful, recycle that, make it... Would you go along with that? I would. And if you just give me a moment to put my lollipop down, Keith, because my skateboard's <laughs> just crashed yeah. against the window. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I would go along with that, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'd also kind of probably take that a stage further to say embrace all that, you know, all those warts and all, all those inverted what we saw at the time as negative experiences mm. you know because i and i know i shared this with you kind of off air mm. keith around how mm. i perceived at the time my experience at going to this this grammar school very steeped in in tradition mm. almost mm. like a, a military academy if you will in mm. the early 70s how i rebelled against that because it was mainly um you know mainly male masters teachers as we you know the modern day terminologies but they were called masters in those days and um you know to learn lessons from that keith i'm starting i've started to realize now and this is very recent over the last sort of four five six seven weeks what how much that influenced my life at a time when actually my story before up until say two months ago before meeting this guy was one very much of no hated it because you've it. missed out you've missed out a very important part here paul in in telling your story in a modest way which is actually the key part for me is that he said to you after this little punch-up that you'd had that he was grateful to you for that yeah because what you didn't know and you never knew until you'd met him again all these years later was that he was on the road to potentially becoming a bully and potentially getting in with the wrong crowd and so on and so on that little playground punch-up actually he said if I recall correctly, had changed him and put him on a different path. Well, certainly stopped and made him think, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and it's those defining moments, Keith, that we have in our path, isn't it? Because, you know, so I'll speak about some of the other characters that I've known that have ended up on a, just let's say, a more unsavoury path. Um, you know, they started off small time with X or Y or Z or A or B or C. And, you know, it takes, we, we get a bit braver and we go a bit further down that particular path. Um, whether that path is kind of deemed to be successful or unsuccessful, mm. uh, I think the principle is the same. You know, we kind of, we get a bit braver, we get a bit more confidence as our experience feeds us. And um, it's those thin lines, Keith, isn't it? It's that, it's that old metaphor, really. You know, you're, at the, you're on the airplane and if it's half a degree off course at takeoff, by the time it's gone 10,000 miles, you're in totally another yeah. part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that the, the risk is if we take a, you know, we take another another look at it is how do we prevent ourselves from from wallowing in the past? You know, because there, there is a risk, of course, that that it's oh the good old days that some people may book back. Oh, then I was so confident then, you know, everything was going for me then. I, I thought I had so much to offer then. Uh, I was happy that, you know, there's a danger, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely there is. And I think how I counter that, Keith, is is very much, you know, I like in many respects, when I'm in kind of doubt about anything, generally speaking, 
Um, less so nowadays, less so nowadays, but one of the great kind of foundations for me has been Pareto analysis, the 80-20 rule. Uh -huh. Where am I going to spend most of my time? The vast majority, you know, not an exact site, but say 80% of my time. Mm. And where I spend most of my time these days, Keith, is absolutely in the moment. Mm -hmm. But that other 20% allows me to, it's a bit like a treat. Oh, let me indulge in a bit of nostalgia. You know, let me let me be creative because as a writer, that helps. That helps immensely. You know, and in conversations like this, Keith, where you and I can, as I call it, kiss the sun and touch the moon, we can flirt with, you know, um, there's an old Irish um, sort of quirk on this where, you know, the old campfire and all the boys and girls are sitting around and, you know, to use an Irish term, the crack is mighty. And, you know, the boys, usually the boys will be telling a tale of, you know, the fisherman's tale. Oh, we went out, we did this and we did that. And, and maybe one of the boys or his wife would say, and this has happened a few times, by the way, in my own company. Mm. And the wife would say, well, actually, I don't remember that happening. Mm. I think you're spinning one there. And mm. one of the boys are chirping, never mind, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. You carry on. And I think that if we allow ourselves, Keith, that kind of creativity, that space to, you know, to flirt with that, because that stretches the imagination rather than this rigid note, that's the way it was. And it'll always be that way, because by creating that space for something new, even within our imagination, um, I think we're creating something very powerful, because eventually if we if we embrace that enough, we will become or start going down that particular road. And I, re and I am kind of living proof that that's really what's played out in my life. Well, you know, this, it's, for those who, who aren't able to live in the moment, it, you know, it's a fascinating thing. And as Eckhart Tolle, uh, who, you know, I think broke the ice with the power of now, you know, essentially is something that is quite complicated and yet is extremely simple. Mm. If I talk to you now about, your childhood, what you did as a teenager and what I did as a teenager and all. Great. But we're talking about it now. Yeah. If I talk to you about what's going to happen in the future, you know, where's world game changers going? What's mm. the future for, for, for Paul D. Lowe? Great. But we're talking about it now. Yeah. And, and so I love this idea of, of trying to, to realize whatever is going on, I'm thinking about it now and I can expand my thoughts. I can, I can go where I want to now mm. if I want you know, that's that, that that's good. The risk with that potentially, though, is that uh, I've always felt this a little is that you do need that 20 percent mm. because that 20 percent of where you where you are kind of looking. Literally, you are spending time in the future is because you need bills to be paid. Yeah, you need things you need to book a, a trip. So you have to actually, you know, plan it and so on and and then uh, put it in your diary. So you do need to think forward and plan but it still ultimately comes back to you're doing all that today yeah yeah and you know to to use the metaphor of being in a vehicle and going on a journey keith mm. you know say going from london to scotland for example it doesn't mm. matter where the journey is but you know we're always looking we're planning the journey ahead you know i'll i'll, I'll leave the m25 i'll take the m1 or the a1 or whatever route is you know depending where one's going but you're planning, and so you're looking forward all the time, rather than staring at the immediate two meters in front of you in that car. So you're right, there is that balance. But I found that that space of that twenty percent is is immeasurable. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. being in this, and, and don't get me wrong, being in the, in the now, you know, can be challenging as well. Uh, it takes a bit of work to kind of embrace that, what initially one might perceive and, and frame as a philosophy, mm. and then to actually embrace it as a way of life and the benefits it has is immeasurable. And ju just on that metaphor, Keith, of driving along on our journey, conversely, if we spend all our time looking in the rear view mirror, we'd crash. So why do we as humans keep looking and living in the past, looking over our shoulder, dwelling in the past, looking in our rear view mirror of our life and expect different results? Why do we wonder then when our world collapses? Because we're living in the past. So there's a balance to be had. There is. And there's, and, but there's human emotions that come uh, with that that are very difficult to avoid. So mm. when you start dwelling and looking in the past, you're going to get emotions of regret. You're going to get emotions of guilt. Um, you're going to get a lot of negative emotions as well, which will, which will come up. Yes, some nice memories, don't get me wrong, some good things. But there's a tendency, I would suggest, that when you look back, um, you know, you can, you can get those perhaps less than satisfactory emotions coming with it, which is why your, your whole concept, this recycled teenager, in essence, is about recalling the past and, and having the memory, but without having particularly the negative emotion that was associated with certain things that went on. Yeah. And there's a caption I created with that. And it's like of a, a championship boxer and he's got his hands aloof, you know, as in a sort of, yes. Mm. And the words I attach to it, it very much speaks to what you've just said, Keith. Life's champions emerge because to, they learn to let go of the pain from the past, but not the lessons learnt. Right. And that's exactly. the key thing. Exactly, exactly. I think we make a lot of assumptions as well. I think there's one of the one of the issues uh, that that probably crops up is that we make assumptions, and I'm speaking from personal experience clearly. Uh, and in fact, from talking to my father, who sadly you know passed away some years ago now, but was in his eighties. You know, you make an assumption that people, when they're older, they've got it, they understand it, mm. they know what's going on, they don't get nervous, they don't, they you know. They've got their act together. Talking to my to my father in his eighties, he would be saying to me, "You know what, Keith? Actually, sometimes you you realise that even though you've been through a lot of life, you still don't know how things work. Mm. You're still uncertain. You can still have all those earlier emotions of nervousness or uncertainty yeah. or even a little bit of fear. Mm. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because you kind of imagine that a lot of the emotions you'd have as a teenager as a, as a younger person those would fade those would go you wouldn't they wouldn't be very relevant but in fact i think they are they may even increase as you get considerably older i don't know what you think about that yeah it's an interesting one um i think where it lands for me and where it has landed is is that ability to if ability is even the right word but that i'll stick with ability to to kind of self observe you know, mm. why am I reacting this way? You know, the mm. shadow side. Why is the shadow side playing this? You know, what's triggering me now? I'm not mm. saying that, you know, what I'm suggesting, Keith, is a perfect sort of white white piece of paper, you know, a kind of a clean piece of paper mm. to all life's challenges. I'm not. But what I'm saying it does, or what it's done for me, it's given me that ability to, to leave. A, it's given a lot of healing, a lot of healing, to, mm. to lead me to a place from pain to peace and that's you know that's why i share the concept of the recycled teenager because we can all embrace it 
and, and I've said this a million times and I'll never stop saying it, it's all wrapped up in the stories we tell ourselves. You know, you, you kind of look at the Gandhi-esque approach of beliefs, control thoughts, controls feelings, control words, actions, results, you know, this almost hierarchy and the beliefs. Well, I work with a guy and I know I've, um, I've shared this with you, Keith, in, in one of our many previous conversations. Jim Britt was his name and Jim was the guy um, that was Tony Robbins' mentor for five years and Jim Rohn's business partner for 10. So, you know, one would like to think he knew one or two things about peak performance and personal development. And we was having a conversation, Jim and I, the one day, and he said, you know, Paul, all beliefs are false, you know. All beliefs are false. It's something that we have, as an individual, has decided is true because it fits our model of the world based on yes. our experience. But you talk to another guy or girl, they might not have a clue what you're talking about, but we've decided it's true. You know, that's absolutely bang on when you're talking, as we have done, about what other people's perceptions of us are. Mm. And how many people are are struggling through life because they have an idea that someone else's perception of them is negative, is X, is, you know, maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't at all. And that's exactly the story you've told. Yeah. That, you know, your idea would be meeting up with this guy again. He's not going to have much to say to me because we were barely friends at school. I don't mm. think he really knew me very well. Turns mm. out he had a completely different perspective. Completely. So, so we do live our lives, as you say, with our own map of the map of the world. But sadly, we also live it with a an idea about how other people feel about us, which may not be true. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and that will influence our reaction, Keith, of, you know, that perception of what we thought. Mm. You know, and this is why I massively, massively fly the flag for storytelling and the stories we tell ourselves. It is the antidote to fear. Mm. I'm not saying it's the only one, but I tell you what, from my experience, and I've put this to the test both personally and with a lot of clients, I've, it's a damn big one. It mm. really is a big one. So why don't we, you know, when we look in the mirror rather than, oh, you look a bit rough this morning, Paul, uh, you know, or whatever, yeah. Um, you know, when I was on the drink, Keith, and sometimes, you know, like after a session or two, you know, um, I looked like death warmed up. You know, I might have been on a park bench because I was out with the boys or what have you, um, you know, and I'd go home maybe a week, two weeks later or what have you. Uh, as I did with the West Ham game, by the way, when Forrest played in the... Uh, I don't the... blame you. You'd have been very depressed after we'd thrashed you. Yeah. <laughs> or was it that the Reds won 4-0? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. Um, but the point is, you know, oftentimes I'd look in the mirror when I'd come off this humongous bender and I would look disgusting. You know, I'd be sleeping on park benches. I hadn't had a wash, had a shave, cleaned my teeth. But even then, Keith, there was still something that says, come on, boy, you need to raise your spirits. Mm. I knew I looked like garbage, but I wasn't going to tell myself that story. I wasn't. Do you know what, Paul? You're one handsome boy. And I tell you what, some girl's going to be looking today, lucky today when you're out in the pub and the club or what have you. I don't think so, Paul. You smell, you look atrocious. But it was the story I was telling myself, Keith. And it kept my spirits up rather than, woe is me. That's Paul. really interesting. Yeah. Because most people don't do that, I would suggest. I can't say most people. I've got no, no evidence for that. But many of the people that, um, that may be in the coaching world that I'm, I speak with, the story is not a positive one. Mm. It's not. And so, as you were saying, the power is actually in 
no, come on, let's let, let's think of let's it's kind of gratitude journaling, isn't it? Let's look at what's going well in my life. What am I good at? What have I achieved? As opposed to oh, what can't I do? What isn't possible for me now? Easy yeah. to say, easy to say, very difficult to put into practice, of course. Um, and, and yeah, and, and requires a lot of, of honesty, self honesty, really, if I can use that term. And a word that was mentioned earlier on, Keith, humour, because humour, I think, yeah. is very, very, very underestimated in, in humanity, very underestimated. Um, but hey, listen, and it is very simple because it's a choice. Everything we have is a choice. You know, and I think it's so easy for us, to, and I speak of decades of experience in this, to get trapped with life happening to us, poor old me. And I did go through phases, in particular coming out my teen years of that. You know, why is this violence happening to me? Why did I lose this fight? Why did Forrest lose on Saturday? This ain't right. You know, my first suicide attempt, Keith, at 13 and a half was on the back of Nottingham Forest losing two games. How, why have they done this to me? Why have they betrayed me? One was in the quarterfinal um, replay, second replay against Newcastle United. Newcastle went on to meet Liverpool in the final um, and lost 3-0 to Liverpool. Um, so that was on the Thursday night at Everton's Goodison Park. And two days later um, at Fulham's Craven Cottage, they lost 2-0 to Fulham. I was distraught because I'd created a belief system that one day I would wear with pride and I would represent Nottingham Forest Football Club. And this is the power of focus and storytelling, Keith, because actually when I started at uni many moons later, you know, I was kind of 13 and a half then, as I say. But when I started at uni doing my teaching degree, which was in the um, 97, 97, 98, where did I end up? In Nottingham Forest Football Academy as a tutor mentor all those years later. All those years working with some of the best hearts and minds and talent in, in football at the time under Paul Hart. So it's interesting, you know, that old cliche, Keith, just be careful what you focus on because it just might happen. Not probably in a nice straight linear line and neat and tidy the way you anticipate or our mind anticipates it. But just be careful. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, um, it, 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 you, because as a teenager, you don't have certain things that you have when you're older one of the things i guess you have and what i suspect you could call recall now is that you kind of think that life is just with the exception obviously of the serious issue that you've just discussed but generally you're thinking that life goes on forever if you go back to the, your very early days at school six week holiday lasted forever didn't it mm. and now six weeks is tomorrow so there are certain there's certain changes. I don't know whether they're physiological, whether they're mental, whatever they are. But there are certain changes. There's a certain difference in, in how you are. You've retained certain values, probably. You've retained certain attributes like humor, like kindness. You've retained some of those things. They may have been dented a bit because of experience, but you've broadly retained them. But some of the things that just physically seem to be happening then, including what your body can do, unfortunately, you can't quite do that now. So, um, you know, and, and, and we've, we've used too much, too many football analogies, perhaps, but I do, I do recall playing for a, a, a team in my 40s and running for the ball. The head was, you know, my head was there. I was going to reach the ball. There was no problem at all and head for the goal line and score. But the reality was that I just fell over my own feet and landed flat in the mud because I wasn't up to running the speed I wanted to run to catch the ball. So there is that physicality that changes. But... 
I guess what, what you're really saying with this recycled teenager is, yes, Keith, of course, but there is, there's, there's this element of, of who you really are in essence that carries through and is still there now. Yeah. And I created, um, based on a life's experiences, and yet again, you know, we're working with some of the world's top practitioners, I created what I call my SEMP triangle, Keith. Oh, yeah. So, you know, Maslow's hierarchy is split up into it, you know, and you've got self-actualization at the top of the triangle and at the bottom you've got your more kind of immediate here and now physical needs, etc., etc. So, and this came as a result of um, a conversation I had with a man of the cloth um, and I'd just come out of a fight um, with a guy uh, in a public place this was and this, uh, this priest called me over and he said, I've been watching you. And he really tore, you know, tore, tore a strip off me. I was about 16, 17 at the time. And he really tore a strip off me. He was an, he was an elderly gentleman, obviously very wise. And he said something to me. And even though I hadn't got a clue, Keith, what he was talking about, what's really bizarre is I never forgot his words. He was clearly a messenger. Yeah. I've had that quite a lot in my life. You know, yeah. the guy from 48 years ago was absolutely a messenger because <laughs> he's woke me up to an aspect of my life that lay dormant for far too long. Um, so immeasurable gratitude for him for that. But going back to the, this situation I was referring to when I was about 16, 17, he said, let me tell you about something. He said, imagine life like a triangle and split it in four. And I'm thinking, what is he on about? You know, um, and he said, on the bottom, is the, on the base, is the physical side. He said, you're very physical. He said, I bet you, you know, you've got girls and you know, you're always fighting and you're a bit of a boy, aren't you? Of course, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm the boy, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the testosterone was flying eyes, you can imagine. He said, but then move up a notch in the triangle from the physical to the mental. Then move up another notch into the emotional because when you start doing going through these gears, that's when you're really starting to find out about life. He said, but let me tell you this. The one that sits right at the top in the apex is an S and it's called spiritual. And when you've got that connection and that awareness, all the others just fall into place. Hmm. And that for hmm. me, Keith, kind of sums everything up. You know, that higher power, some might call it God, some might call it spirit, some might call it universe. But there's something other than us. Now, I, you know, I'm certainly not prepared to kind of um, debate um, with people generally in an open forum about what's right or wrong, because there is no right or wrong in terms of that intimate relationship with source. And I often use, the, yet again, the analogy of a mobile phone. And as humans are like mobile phones, we're great. We're great communicators. We've got gadgetry in our memories that we can act like a super computer. We can solve problems. We can do this. We can do that. We can do loads of things. But the thing we can't do, Keith, is keep running. Uh, without external power, our batteries run flat. So we need energising from something more external than what we just are. Because what we just are, if we're not careful, can be tantamount to ego. And that brings us right back down onto the physical stuff. Well, I think the modern day terminology is the 3D world. I mean, that's that. You're there again. That's a whole new different conversation. But no, I think I think you. You know, of course, for everybody that's nodding along to you, there'll be a number of people that will be saying, "Well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We are just mm. in a physical world. There is no life mm. after death. There is no mm. God." And and I think we have to respect that. And there's a yeah. very 
there are some very intelligent, very smart, very interesting people who quite clearly just think, you know, we just come off the end of the table and fall on the floor. That's it. Mm. So, so, but we don't know is the short answer to that. But I, I wonder if I can move you on a little bit, Paul, because one of the other areas which I know you're in, in, interested in, and I don't know how this relates to the recycled teenager, but is this relation between artificial intelligence now and emotional intelligence. Could you just mm. say a couple of words about that? Because I know you're involved with that. Thinking. Yeah, well, you, you alluded to it at the top of this conversation, Keith, about a book, EI and AI through the eyes of the recycled teenager. And essentially what that is, is, um, is a collaboration between co-authors and some great experts speaking about uh, AI, speaking about EI, speaking about health, speaking about money, you know, the practical aspects. So, um, and, you know, we've collaborated, as I say, to produce this book. And the main purpose of it, Keith, is to kind of, I suppose, underpin with the the reality of how storytelling can help reduce fear in our world, particularly around AI. So I start the, the, you know, I set the scene and I start by saying, you know, AI, emotional intelligence was a big part of my world. You know, um, I was brought up in a generation where, you know, algorithms and logs meant a completely different thing. You know, we, when we did our sums, with slide rules and algorithms and logs. Of course, you speak to young people now about algorithms and they'll straight away no flip over to, to social oh, yeah. media. Oh, you've got, yeah. you know, you got to know how to play the Facebook algorithm or, or what have you, Instagram or whatever it may be. So for me, Keith, personally, and I invite people to challenge this, and that's what the book was all around. The foundation for all of us is emotional intelligence. It has to be. We're human beings. You know, technology is advancing at such a phenomenal exponential rate. However, the one thing that underpins it and programs it is the human. And the human, with all the things that we've spoke about, Keith, you know, the vulnerability, the fallibility, the emotions. I, you know, an individual might be the, the world's greatest, greatest technology. But if things are not right behind the scenes in his or her life, the emotions are going to kick in and that can very quickly go haywire. Mm. Very, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with some great minds over the decades and I've seen this happen. You know, it could be something, and I know there's the old sort of joke about the driving instructor got out of bed the wrong side this morning and that's why he's failed me because I didn't really speed in that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think there's some truths in that with the greatest respect to driving instructors. <laughs> you know, what I think is, we talk about what we don't know uh, and in terms of, of, of religion and God and, and, mm. and the universe. But what we don't know is how far AI is going to go and how close to many of the elements of the human it will come to. And, and you know, there's a lot of talk about you know, computers can do so much, but they can't do everything. Yeah, that's that's true in a way. But we're now at the stage. And, and let me be absolutely clear with you from my opinion. This is a year of transition. It's mm. never going to be the same again on this planet. Mm. After, after this year, people are still toying with AI, but now it's, it's exponential. And we're getting to the stage where artificial intelligence is training up other artificial intelligence. And that artificial intelligence is training up robots. And mm. the, the way it's going is that if it looks and sounds and feels, you know, what do they say? If it, if it croaks like a, walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is a duck. 
the way that artificial intelligence will be in the next two, three years, when it's linked to uh, robots and cobots and, you know, cobots where they're working with people, it's going to be so phenomenally different from what we even see today that there will be people genuinely thinking, does this have intelligence? Does it have a, does it have, does, is it alive? Does, is it thinking? Now, I know mm. people laugh at that and they poo-poo it. But if I'd said to you a few years ago, do you know, Paul, that you will be able to have a, a small device which you can hold in your hand and you've got a friend who's up a mountain somewhere and you can push a few buttons and you can see him or her and you can talk to them and they can talk to you. 20 years ago, that would have been ridiculous. That short time. So so what the, the rapidity of, of, of artificial intelligence Will we as humans be able to keep up with it? And the bottom line to this is, will we be able to keep it as a tool to work for us or will we end up being a tool working for it? Big question. It is a big question and you can look at this from many perspectives. And I always take the humanist perspective, Keith, on things like this. Um, maybe you can call me an old school romantic for having this view, but I believe that uh, AI rules okay. I really do believe that. You know, you talk about sort of my words, not yours, but unprecedented waters that we find ourselves in. But didn't we do that three years ago with a certain thing called COVID? Um, mm. And one would argue that the world's never been the same after that either. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, this is a new phenomenon. You, you kind of offer a two to three year window, Keith. I think it's going to come a lot quicker than that. Mm. You know, I speak to, to people around this that really are, you know, they've got the finger on the pulse. They've got the finger on the pulse. Um, are they right or are they wrong? Time will tell. Time will no, tell. No, you're quite right. I think two or three years probably is too long. I think by the beginning of next year, we'll be seeing things. And um, this is not the not the topic of our conversation, but the recycled teenager, the teenager that you and I knew, our, our younger selves, would never have predicted this. No. We might have read about it in some fanciful sci-fi book or, you know, seen it 2001 a space oddity odyssey for, mm. for example but but to live it is quite amazing we're in that time now where where really we are on the cusp of something almost as large as the invention of electricity or or the splitting of the atom in my in my opinion yeah so do we go into that with this mindset that yes nonetheless it's a tool we have to be careful with it we we must regulate it and all the rest of it yeah. but but we're still in charge you know yeah, we can't be laissez-faire about it, Keith, because, uh, well, we can't. I mean, as, as you was talking there, and this rightly or wrongly, there's, there's a, the line from an old song, isn't there? They all laughed at Christopher Columbus when he said the world was round. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, enough. I, <laughs> I thought it was triangular, but then that's my conceptualization kicking in again. Uh, maybe been reading too many books about A.H. Maslow and the like. Um yeah. Yet again, Keith, for me, it goes back to not only the story we tell ourselves, but faith. And I don't mean faith in a religious sense, you know, whether people are whatever their beliefs are in that higher power or not, as the case may be. You know, that is something that I that sits played out in my life. So it's become part of my story. A lot of people will resonate with it. A lot of people will not resonate with it. Mm. And equally, it's fine because that creates that tolerant society to say, oh, that's an interesting perspective you give, Fred, Joe, Bill, whatever. Um, don't quite align with that. However, but that's, 
you know, and I think in many respects, Keith, that kind of humility, you know, you talk about sentient robots and, and the like. I'm not sure, but I will always err on the side of being the romantic and creating that story where it's going to be okay, you know. It's going to be completely different, and that's where I massively agree with you. It's going to be completely different. And, you know, as you know, Keith, we as humans, generally speaking, do not like change. That's the thing that we fear more than anything. And, and when we fear something, as you know, one-on-one -on -one can very quickly become six. Yeah, we do. And uh, I'd also, as you're talking, I'm also thinking, you know, what wonderful knowledge there uh, there, there is uh, in the terms of yin and yang. Mm. Because for everything, literally, for everything, there's a positive or a negative use for it. Yep. Um, you know, you can take a wooden spoon, you can, you know, do cooking with it and stir a pot, or you could bonk someone on the head with it. Yeah. Um, you take nuclear fusion, you can create electricity, or you can blow people up. Yeah. And I, and I guess that's going to be the same with, with artificial intelligence. Um, and in a way, there's your similarity between artificial intelligence and EQ, as opposed to intel IQ. You know, EQ is, is your relationship with other people, how you deal with them, how you react, um, your civility, your respect, all those good things that, that, that we have, and knowing how to adapt to a particular situation. Now, will we be able to teach that or to what we see as an, un as an, an instrument of ours, a tool of ours? Will we be able to teach that to artificial intelligence? And if in artificial intelligence picked up something like that would it adapt would it create its own eq these are big questions i understand that but it, it just gets me thinking really yeah um and, and you know and i suppose the the real kind of where the book stops with all this because you know i mean to say it's got uh, infinite potential is i think is 80 percent of the way there to go back to pareto but where it isn't where does it come in with procreation well it'll make its own machines <laughs> be a bit clunky let's let's take the conversation back. yeah um what do you reckon that was we, we went around the houses we we, we did uh, quite a bit there we recycled ourselves i think but in the end i suppose the answer is 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 have you hit upon something here that really is new or have you just discovered something in the terms of of recycling ourselves as adults Based for me, for me, are you asking me personally yeah. Keith, with the concept? Well, I, do you think you fit upon a concept here, this recycled teenager? Um, there's an old cliche, isn't there, that um, there's nothing new on this planet. You know, we mm. give it a different name, we paint it a different colour, stick a different hat on it, and then all of a sudden I've got the next best thing since sliced bread. So I don't think there's anything new out there, Keith, including this concept. But I think what has become more apparent as people are becoming more um, encapsulated within fear, and mainly, not, not solely, but mainly because of AI in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, that people are starting to, right, we need to do something now. And I think this concept of, well, you know, why don't we recycle ourselves? Why don't we recycle ourselves? It is, as you alluded to quite rightly, it's actually quite simple if we can take the blinkers off. And, and I mean that respectfully, because by the way, I had my blinkers on for, for decades because I was gripped in fear. But I think it's conversations like this, Keith, um, 
that actually sort of give people something to think about. You know, as you've alluded to quite rightly, not just on the faith thing, um, because I'm not a man of religion, but I have a faith. I have a faith that humanity will not only survive, but it will prosper and grow. That's where my faith is. That you know, I've used the terminology that incurable romantic, wanting to kiss the sun, wanting to touch the moon, because it's going to be okay. It might not be okay in the way that I want, brackets ego, but it ain't about me. It's about us collectively, all beings, and not just humans. For me, Keith, that's where my vision is, and you know, the contributions and my thought processes are, are in that direction. Once we can, once we can wake up and understand that instead of trying to have dominion over the the planet, the plants and animals as we as we do, that we have to work in harmony with it, and obviously in harmony with our fellow humans. Uh, I think there is hope for us. It's a very positive way in which I guess to draw our chat to a, to an end, Paul. Uh, and uh, I think I think yeah, there's such a lot of negativity, particularly now as we speak at this time of, uh, of incredible. Uh, stress and, and tension. We've gone through COVID, we've gone through downturns in the economy, we're going through climate change, and sadly and almost unbelievably, we're getting uh, somehow coming to terms with the fact that we're at war again, in mm. some sense, um, in this world. So, so I think, gosh, we don't half need to be optimistic. And I think that's what you've given us today. Thank you. It's, it is just those little bits that we can chip in, Keith, isn't it? You know, there's no coincidence why I sang the line from, you know, the, that song. You know, singing, humour, just anything to kind of raise that vibration, raise that energy. Because, you know, one then becomes two. Two could be, it is literally like dropping the pebble in the pond and collectively we will raise, we will raise the vibration and things will become better. I That's have fantastic. got no doubt about that, Keith. Fantastic. Fantastic. I was just wondering if you were going to release that as a single, you know, because uh, that, that it's possible. The Rolling Stones can come out and produce the best album in 40 years, which they just have done, uh, and they're in their 70s and 80s. There still is hope for you, Paul. I tell you, don't give up. But I'm maybe don't give up the day, day job at the moment. Um, I'm looking for an agent, Keith. I normally offer 17.5%. Uh, put your CV in with the rest, please. <laughs> Let's talk. Okay. Thanks, Paul. It's been fun. As always, great to talk to you. And... Uh, I don't mind the fact that I'm here in the rain in Luxembourg and the cold wearing a jumper and you're there in Spain in the T-shirt. Yeah, well, you know, nobody ever said life was fair. Just ask AI and EI. <laughs> <laughs> and on well, that cool. uh, that note of parity, thanks very much, Keith. And all that re all remains now as listeners after that fascinating conversation, I feel like Keith and I have been all over the dance floor on that. Be really interested to hear your views because I think there's uh, quite some contrast in views there but really be interesting to hear your feedback but I'm going to sign off now on behalf of Keith and myself the way I always do by saying remember the world's changing how will you respond thanks very much for listening to this world game changes podcast episode hopefully you found it interesting and helpful Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world's changing. How will you respond?